Dreaming about teaming up with a superhero? Heartbroken about the latest comic death? Do you find your conversations always turning to Marvel? Then welcome Marvelites to your therapy session. Join your hosts as we explore the realms of the Marvel Universe, taking you into new insights, movie reviews, and debates. Here, we won't try to cure any obsessions, but fuel them because the world is better nerdy. Welcome to your Marvel Therapy Group. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Marvel Therapy Group. I'm your host, Jack, and with me is... Joe. And we have a very special guest today. He is a published author named Brian Mazur. So why don't you, uh, you want to introduce yourself? Hello. Hello, podcast world. I'm Brian. I'm a local author here in our town. Yeah, so you want to um, you want to start off just by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been a writer for a number of years. My genre of choice is horror. And as far as comic books go, I've been a comic book collector for about 45 years. Um, and I have been into comics in general for about 50 years since I was a kid. My cousins used to have... Uh, huge amounts of comic books and we go over there in the summer for vacations or I would spend a week or two every summer and we would just pour through these old comic books or the comic books of that day okay <laughs> comic books from the 60s and a lot of them were not Marvel sorry they were <laughs> they were DC Superman oh, really? Flash uh, Green Lantern Batman um, all them and of course comic books back then were vastly different and were geared towards kids than they are today. They were better. They were, yeah, they were better. <laughs> they were better. Um, a lot more effort went into them, I feel like. Yeah, a lot more effort went in, especially to stories. Yeah, there was a lot of dialogue. There was a lot of dialogue. Now you get like two dialogue boxes per page with like five drawings and then two more pages of advertisements and then back to the comic. Yeah, or every other page of advertisement. Yeah, it's annoying. It's and then like, they charge the you like four to five dollars for all that. Well, I've... I, d- I decided a couple years ago that some of them are starting to inch up towards five dollars. Mm-hmm. I max I max out at four. Yeah, me too. Um, that's the most I'm, I'm willing to spend. Um, the five dollar limit. If if I like I, if there's a series I collect and there's a special issue that happens to come out at five bucks, well, to continue the collection, I, <laughs> you know, I give into it. That's but that's how they get you. But if, if there's a um, new title that comes out, or a reboot of a title, which they do way too frequently, mm-hmm. um, and it, in the f- um, it's of interest, but I notice they jack up the price to $5, I drop the title. Mm. At a trade show once, they, I think they were just, they had this giant collection of comic books, and I think they're just trying to like sell it re- at a retail value. But it was for like a dollar or two more than the price that was right there in the barcode on the, oh. on the, on the front cover. Yeah. And I was like, but this one says it's $4. And they're like, yeah, but we're charging this. I said, okay, no thank you. And then they come back like a few seconds later and they're like, okay, but no, we can give it to you for that price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some of them you have, to, you have to watch. Especially like at the bigger um, comic book conventions. Yeah. Um, I went to many comic book conventions back in the 70s when I was, in, I was uh, like a teenager. Um, they would have smaller ones, a lot of smaller ones in the area. Now you don't have too many of them. Um, there's one coming in East Windsor in end of next month. They they come out twice a year, but it used to be constant all the time. Collectors 
conventions back in the 70s would be in this area. And me and my brother would always go and um, get back issues to fill out our collections. He was into the Hulk. Marvel. Uh, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> and what were like those conventions kind of like back in the day? Were they a little more like low-key, a little more like culty kind of? Um, no. They were... Even back then, you could see a transition because most of the people who went to buy were adults. There weren't too many, there weren't a lot of young people at that time to collect. And it's like what you expect now, you know, just a bunch of comic books thrown in boxes, on tables, under tables, that type of thing. Yeah. People still dressing up back in the day? (laughs) No. It wasn't that type of thing at all. I think what kicked off, honestly, what kicked off the people dressing up uh, cosplay type of thing would be... Um, the, the Trekkies, they started back in the 70s mm-hmm. dressing up, and it just seemed to, seems like it, over the last 40 years it's kind of snowballed into um, the cosplay. Um, I don't participate when I go to the Boston ones. Um, as part of my, one of my favorite things is to watch the cosplay people. Oh, yeah. Um, like some and, of them go all out. Oh, yeah. Some of them are really good, and there's the ones that, you know, want to do it, but maybe because they don't have the budget, not quite there. Yeah, this background noise right here is Brian's dog, Lucy, who's right there in the couch with us. Hey, yo. Um, I just want to bring up one thing before we go on. Um, when, you, when you guys, uh, earlier podcasts, you, maybe one of your first ones was that you named your top five favorite Marvel characters. Uh-huh. May I do that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Right. Oh, he has a list. Yeah, I wrote him down. <laughs> I had to write him down. Okay. Did Magneto make your list? Um, no. Oh. Number five is Falcon. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Is this from the movie standpoint or comics or both. does it both? Both. Um, number four is X twenty three. Oh, cool. that's a good one. I really, I really enjoy X twenty three. Do you um, read the new series? I haven't read the new series. No, I have. I have the um, older. No, she's not that old. But mm. the um, I have the first one, the first comic where she was introduced, and oh, that's cool. Other ones. Is that worth anything? Um, yeah, I believe it is. I don't know how much. Yeah. I don't keep up on that. Um, I have the first issue of where Squirrel Girl was introduced. Oh, do you? Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> when was she introduced? It was from like 1980 or 1990, oh, but it's this, this oh. huge winter special. Really? Yeah, it's like 81 pages of different stories and there's oh, a small wow. story with her. She defeats Doctor Doom. Oh, wow. She's oh. Uh, in Central Park and... I don't know, just like talking with the squirrels, but trying to get Iron Man to take her on as a sidekick. And Doctor Doom invades Central Park, and then she just gets all the squirrels to go up under his ship and chew all the wiring. <laughs> so he has to flee. <laughs> that's, the, that's the fun stuff. That's the fun stuff. Um, my number three is Ms. Marvel, the current uh, Camilla Khan. Khan. Uh-huh. Yeah. I enjoy that. Very inter- Every issue is very entertaining. Oh, that's good. I started that one. That came out a few years ago. I started that one. Did you get to the one where Gemma Simmons goes into her high school? I haven't picked up my comics for December yet. Is that, like, recent? No, that was years ago. Oh, no. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Gemma Simmons from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. infiltrates her high school as a high school student. And I think she's tracking down Loki or something. Is Camilla Khan? Yeah. I'll have to go back to my issues. <laughs> I'll have to go back to my issues. Oh, number two is Daredevil. Yeah. Um, and I have yeah to he's be, my guy. <laughs> and I have to be honest that the series helped me get into Murdoch and, and company. Mm-hmm. More than anything. The TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, I think just from like 2000 on, Daredevil has just been like really good writer after really good writer, and that's how I really got into yeah, the character. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. 
And uh, my number, my favorite uh, Marvel character is Spider-Man. Oh, nice. Um, he's always been, and that's what I collected most when I was talking about the 70s comics. Me and my brother, he'd go for Hulk, like I said, and I'd go searching for the Amazing Spider-Man mm-hmm. back issues. Um, he had a really great year in 2018, Spider-Man. Yeah? A lot happened with Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. We Spider-Man. Just... Oh, sorry. Um, Did you see Into the Spider-Verse? I, I know. I have not seen that. That's okay. what I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wanted to see it, but um, it just hasn't worked out. Anyway, that was my list. Yeah. I just wanted to share it because I was thinking about it ever since yeah. you guys had that original podcast. I'm surprised in Falcon. I feel like we had an episode where we were talking about... Oh, wait, I think we just released it. No, that's... We're talking about Rhodey. Never mind. But no, like, Falcon's one of those characters that hasn't really had a moment to shine yet. Yeah. So you're not really overly attached to the character. Right. Right. Even, um... Yeah, you're talking about the movies? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I was hoping he would be... When Chris Evans fades away, that uh-huh. he, he would be a replacement like they did in the comic books. Yeah. Um, but it's probably going to be uh, the Winter Soldier. Well, I'd prefer it to be Falcon. Ah, I would, too. I, think I don't, I don't like know. the Winter Soldier. Oh, you don't? No. I liked the movie, but like when people say they're, they like the character, I don't... You can't trust the character. I don't think he should no, be true. as overhyped as he is. That's true. Well, I think the two of them are going to get a TV show on like the the Disney streaming service. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I think they I, Loki. I think is going to be the first one. I think that's one of the ones yeah, they have in development. Yeah, I saw something on that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, that TV show is him as a teenager. I really thought it would be just the two actors now. Well, Tom Hiddleston will be in it, but it's mostly like his... oh, the Loki one. Oh yeah, the Loki one. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder, uh, Mr. Major, if we could go back to talking a little bit about your so your writing a little bit. Sure. Um, so just talk a little bit about what your method for writing is like. Like, how do you take an idea and turn it into a story? Well, that, I think I probably go against the grain on that. Um, one thing, one thing I, I, I do that I haven't, I didn't do when I was younger is I pay, I pay attention more to the world around me. You know, what people say, what people do, um, I'll, I'll, I'll catch a, a bite of something. May it be uh, a com- I was influenced by <clears throat> excuse me a, a commercial once for a story, and um, <clears throat> the first story I ever had published was I was at work, I was walking back, <clears throat> I had been on the road, and um, I'm an IT guy by the way, so I do traveling, but um, I was on the road coming back, walking back to the office, and this uh, person asked me for the time. Now, this was back in the 90s. Nobody had a cell phone, so <laughs> this guy asked me for the time, and I gave him the time. <clears throat> and I was half a block from, from the office, and by the time I got to the office, I had this whole story in my head. And basically, it, it is um, a story about uh, this couple, and, this, and the woman is always asking for the time. And the reason she asks for the time is for survival. She gains more of her time on earth by by getting the time from other people um so the story evolved from there and they have a family and um that's where that that's where that idea came from generally um even when i read i don't i have a hard time now reading strictly for the pure enjoyment of reading that story it's it's not entirely i i i study 
the the writing. Um, something will will catch me that if will help me with something that I'm currently writing. If I'm stuck, and I don't, it's not plagiarism or anything. It's just like the, the atmosphere of the story, the feeling of, of this moment in the story fits something that I'm working on. I mean, that's just happened to me um, recently. You know, something I'm working on, and I'm reading um, a book actually had nothing to do with horror it was the the girl who kicked the hornet's nest the third mm. book in the in the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. the girl the dragon, dragon tattoo, tattoo. Too. and there was a section in there that helped me get unstuck from what i'm writing now most of it's in my head to answer your question you know a lot of writers have journals i don't have a journal i should keep one <laughs> make little notes but i never did that um, most of it's in my story because the problem i have is my attention span is is short and my patience are short so if i was to write um like is suggested you know you, you you make an outline you 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 write everything down you make or, or you make a timeline i'd get bored doing it over and over and over again because I, I would never make it to the final the final copy because i would just i would be bored out of my mind i've already done it over and over and over and over again to that point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so, I don't know, that answers your question? <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Uh, do you have any writers who are big influences for you? Oh, of course, Stephen King, the biggest one. He introduced me to horror. I, my first horror book was Carrie. Oh, that's cool. When I was in middle school, and I just got on this Stephen, horror, Stephen um, King kick. Uh, Dean Koontz is another um, inf- influence. I also like, oh, um, yeah, uh, Patterson. Oh, James Patterson. Uh, James yeah. Patterson, yes. James Patterson, because he's got... His chapters uh, are short, really short, and quick to the point, you know? And he's got a, this, this wonderful way of getting to the point that I, that, I, that I appreciate. And another one is... Stan Lee. Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, comic book writing is so much... I, I actually tried comic book writing a few years ago, and it is so different from any other kind of writing, except maybe if you write for a script for TV or movies or something. But it's but it, it's so different that I had a hard time adjusting to that style. I tried converting a story that, that I had at that time into a comic book form script, mm-hmm. and I had the hardest time with doing that. Is it more just kind of like the process of trying to figure out how you'd like lay a story out on a page in a comic book? Yeah, how you would, you're right. How, how, how it works not only on the page, but how it works with the artist. Um, I had joined this group, they're over on the other side of the town, and these guys, it was a small group, there's like four or five of them, and their goal was to create comic books. They had the guy who was the writer, they had a couple guys who were the artists, and um, so I was, I picked up things, and I, I met them at that um, comic book show that's going to be nearby at the end of uh, February, and I, I picked up different tips from them. Then tried it myself, and it, I had a hard. Like I said, I had a hard time. It was it, it's difficult, mm-hmm. to, because there's there's no detail. You have to actually you write you you you're just writing dialogue, and you're working with the artist to draw the detail. Um, yeah, like back in the seventies, they could have caption boxes with a lot of dialogue still, but now it's I don't think you see that anymore. No. Um, no, you don't. I'm reading something now. 
um, but there's actual caption boxes. It was from Image, Image Comics, The Divine and... Oh yeah, I can't. Um, the wicked and the, the divine. The w- wicked and it? the divine. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and there's a lot of caption boxes in that. But it, uh, you're right. Um, I don't see them like they did back in the old days. That could go along with it being geared geared more for t- for kids too, where it's like more of a narrative, and you have to explain what's going on. Yeah. Or today it's it's all about the characters, in yes. my opinion. Uh, well, I re- re- read. Um, some really old, you know, the collections now, they have the, the old comic books from the Golden Age. And I, I chuckle because it's, they have the, the caption boxes describing the action that you're seeing in the picture. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, I just, and, and I knew why. But it was just, you know, from reading today's comics to reading the ones from 60 years ago, it was jarring Yeah. to read that. Yeah, I could see that. I was just wondering, as a, as a writer of horror, do you ever write anything that scares you? No. The only reason is, again, is the repetitive action of writing. You know, you, you, you have several drafts. I write short stories, but there are still several drafts, several versions, several renditions that go into it. And, and, you, and I get so focused on the writing part of it that I, it doesn't scare me. I try to write for other people's fear what does scare you mr mazer i just watched finished watching house uh, how the haunting of hill house oh like the new netflix show yeah 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 that's that scared me that was well done hmm. well done and there was did you ever you guys read stephen king yes you read pet cemetery no that was the, that's like the one classic one i haven't read yet the very I, I won't give it away but the very last sentence of that book gave me a literal chill <laughs> it was just the scariest thing wow um, i think for you have me, to read it to, to understand that i'm uh-huh. not going to give it away or anything i think for me with stephen king the shining is still the one i found the most scary shining yeah. it was ter- was very scary carrie was scary salem's lot which i just bought another copy of mm-hmm. i want to reread that that's one. that's my favorite one it's another it's another scary one how does it feel now to be at a point in pop culture where there's a new superhero or comic book adaptation out every month or every week it's just the market. I don't want to say is super saturated, but it definitely is saturated. And she says, like an old school fan who was like, would used to have to just like claw at anything, even remotely comic book yeah. related. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do miss the old days where it was, well, it was a constant. You know, if you've got if you've got issue number one on a comic book and you and you stick with that comic book and you and, and you have through issue three hundred and fifty. You know, mm. and, and it's consistent. There's no stopping at 200, oh, let's reboot this. Right. We'll start at number one again. That's the problem I run into now with X-Men comics, where I get to, like, number 30, 30... Yeah. Like, mid-30s, and it stops and goes into a new series. It's sometimes easy to keep up with, but also, with Marvel Unlimited, I read six months behind. So, then something will just end, and I'm like, wait, so what's going on now? Right. Because at that point, there might have been, like, two other series that came out. Well, X-Men are the that. worst for that, Marvel, for some reason. Yes. I don't know why they <laughs> do that. To that comic, to that series. You know, that's, that was, um, speaking of Stan Lee, that was his pride and joy. Mm-hmm. That whole run. That's what Jack said before when I tell him to read X-Men, but there's, like, there's no good place to start. Because it's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> that's my problem with, uh getting into the x-men it's like every time i think i found a good starting point like it was just five issues in they'll 
reference something that yeah. happened like 20 years ago yeah. and like it was, 15 separate um, storylines and it was Joss Whedon's run The Amazing X-Men from like 2004 um, it gets to the point where Kitty Pride she gets stuck in the space missile and then I I can't figure out where it goes from there so I was like alright I guess I go to, gotta back to 19, 1961 and <laughs> read out from there hopefully I'll find something he'll figure it out he'll figure out, he'll what figure out where the fork where the road forks off <laughs> I don't know where it goes after that uh, that issue. Yeah, I, I jumped off um, X Men uh, a long time ago because I just couldn't I couldn't keep up. I'm so excited because now I'm almost done with gold and blue, so then I can go into red and black. But now those are about those are almost done too. So I'm still really be- far behind. But I'm so excited you, to get to red and black. So do you get you do you get the singles or you get the trades? I read it online. Oh, you read it online? Oh, oh, you yeah. did digital? Yep. Oh, okay. Marvel Unlimited. I read okay. it online mostly. Mostly Marvel stuff I mostly read online. I have a few comics that I buy the physical versions of. Yeah. But that's mostly like the, the new Sandman run they have out right now. Mm. I'm buying the physical copies of those. Who's your least favorite character? Least in Marvel Universe? Right. Oh, wow. Um, wow. That's a good question. It might... Is... You want superhero? You want supervillain? Any character. It could even be just from, maybe like, from the point of view of writing. Okay. Like, who's the worst written? Oh, okay. Um, my least favorite character is the Hulk. Mm. I cannot get in. It just, yeah, no. You know, I just, it never appealed to me. Um, my brother and I, when we were young, used to have these arguments about Spider-Man and Hulk. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I don't like the Hulk. Um, as far as... Writing in comic books. My favorite part of any comic book, any superhero comic book, is not the superhero like Spider-Man or Iron Man or Captain America. It's the person in the costume. I, I always enjoy much more the story about the person. Peter Parker. Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, <laughs> yeah, Toronto, I like it. Um, their stories outside of the, their costume I find much more. I think those are... For me, the, the the people's story is what drives the comic books. Yeah. Not when they're in costume and fighting, you know, all the action sequences. It's definitely been that way with Marvel. It's always about the characters, not so much the story. Right. And which is I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I, I've collected just about every single issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, which began in 2000. And um, it was, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's so well done from a story point of view and and the stories all the stories there was never a boring issue all the stories were nicely paced and had a lot more to do with the people behind the mask than the people in the mask um that was brian michael bendis mm-hmm. his his creation his break i think right yeah. yeah and he tried to create the whole ultimate world it and it struggled didn't really pan out in the end they tried ultimate x-men ultimate uh-huh. um Ultimate Magneto is oh, amazing. Right. Yeah, I read that. That's good. <laughs> but that that's that's what I enjoy the most. Yeah, so speaking of narratives with characters, what's your overall opinion on the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Like, they took ten years to build up something huge, but, like, was that a... Did it go well for them, do you think? Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I would say it went excessively well because they can continue to do it. Uh-huh. For my can see, going to be another ten years at least. I feel like it helped them, even in the comics too. It helped get lesser known characters in the mainstream. Right. Yeah. Right. 
And I guess even the comics do that too, where they take years to set up a story and then unleash in this massive event. Yeah, um, and going back to uh, a recent podcast when you guys were, I think it was when you guys were reviewing 2018, you were talking about Infinity War. And Joe, you said something about you had, you had trouble with the story. Yeah. In Infinity War. Uh-huh. And my thought was, yeah, you, you got a good point. Because basically this, the story was too simplified. Yeah. Good against evil, that was it. And the rest of it was based on the action and the, and the special effects, and uh, which was fine because I loved the movie, mm-hmm. you know. But I, th- but I, I think, in my opinion, that there it's really easy to give up a movie to special effects and forego the story. Yeah, that makes just, sense. Just simplify the story, and let the special effects carry the whole movie. Star Wars is a perfect example. The um, Infinity Wars most recent there was no complication yeah and maybe that's not a, a bad thing maybe that's that was good box office wise it certainly was yeah. it, it paid off for them like yeah. they were happy with it right <laughs> oh yeah yeah i think i said i was proud of the movie for what it had accomplished but i didn't love it right right yeah i but i i, I admire the way marvel slash disney handled the whole 10-year period they built up nicely to this to this point where it'll be ending in this coming spring. Mm-hmm. But they did a, a nice job pacing out the story, creating the characters, getting all of us invested in the characters. But it they also led me to want movies on characters that there's probably never going to be a movie for. <laughs> Jack had a really good analogy for it. You said it was... It was a season of television. Every movie was an episode. The like Infinity War is the season finale. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was really well done. Do you have a favorite comic book movie, not just from the MCU, but just kind of, uh, of all time? Oh, I do. It's Iron Man, which I saw you guys just posted your yeah latest podcast on. Yeah, Iron Man is my is my favorite Marvel movie, and I've watched that a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll watch it more again. What did you think of the format for that one, where it was commentary and the second episode was uh, a review? We're trying something different there. Oh, I'm sorry. I I haven't I haven't listened to it yet. I oh, just downloaded okay. it last night. Um, but I have... were you excited? You got two new episodes. Yeah, I was. <laughs> okay. I was surprised. <laughs> no, I was. I was surprised too. I was hoping that would go well for for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was glad. To, I was happy to see it was Iron Man. Yep. Really was, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's yeah. If you could write, well, I know I said comic book writing is a lot harder, but if you could write a comic book or maybe a screenplay for any character, who would it be? Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man, Peter Parker. Yes, from the previews of the um, coming Peter Parker, I mean uh, Spider Man movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Homecoming, Far From Home, Far From Home, right. It looks like he's going. Peter Parker is going to get a lot of screen time, not just Spider Man. Yeah, we'll see. But um, yeah, that'd be good. Absolutely, Peter. I, I can relate to Peter Parker. In my younger days, I probably that's probably why I, I, turned to Spider Man and grew to love Spider Man so much was that I could relate to Peter Parker. You know, this nerdy guy. This didn't didn't fit in. In any any particular slot, just was his own person. Struggled with that. That's what made me love love him. And yeah, yeah, that would be fun. But I would 
probably leave out Spider-Man without reference. I would do references, but I wouldn't, you know, include cool. Spider-Man character in. Oh, okay, yeah. Sort of like, you know, that second Iron Man movie. No, the third Iron Man movie. Yeah. Where he was all about him. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Iron Man suit was a side thing. Something, something similar to that. Yeah, yeah very who, cool. Who would, be your, who would be your villain for your Spider-Man movie? Oh, wow. Um, I always, I'm still, you know, Osborn, Norman Osborn. It's a good one. He's, he's the guy. Again, Norman Osborn, not the Green Goblin. Or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If I could write for anyone, it would be Magneto. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> no one would have pegged that. Wow. I would write a really good Magneto comic book. You should you should write something out anyway. I mean, just for fun. Yeah. You know? Would you would you do the man behind the mask type of thing, or would you... It what? goes hand in hand with him. I I feel like, yeah, the 60s, it was just a two-dimensional villain where he wanted to take over, mm-hmm. but the character's evolved since then so much that yeah. it's not... He's not Magneto. It's It really is just Eric... Or Max, or whoever, whichever name he's going by at the time. He happens to be a mutant, and he's ha- he happens to be fighting for equal rights. And he has mutant powers. But yeah, like, it's one and the same at this point. Eric Lenzer, Max Eisenhart, and Magneto, or Magnus. Because, you know, <laughs> comics, lots of different names throughout time. <laughs> yeah, I know. You you let me borrow um, Magneto 1, uh, was a trade, when he, it took place when he was a kid in the concentration camp. Magneto Testament. Yeah, was that? Yeah. yeah, was that name of it? That's a really good one. That was really good. I totally enjoyed that. Yeah, that was really well done. You get really good. It was it was dark and it was sad and it was. It, I, I really enjoyed the that. The art was really good too. The art was excellent. Like that touched you too because it was it was very yeah dark and gritty because it was oh yeah they were in concentration camps people were dying, and and you you, you speak about the art. Um, usually, I find that they do a real good job of matching the writer up with the artist where the where the artist artwork fits the writer mm-hmm. you know and they, uh, Rob Michael Bendis is the perfect example that in Ultimate Spider-Man it fit so well you don't always get that mm-hmm. you know it's like well we got the writer uh, yeah you over there in the corner yeah you are the artist <laughs> you can just kind of tell when like a writer has a really good relationship with the artist they're working with mm-hmm. Yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, you're right. It's obvious. But it comes out on the page. So, um, I know Jack's favorite character is Daredevil. Yeah, he's my guy. So, so do you like, who do you, which side do you prefer? Do you prefer the, the Matt Murdock or do you prefer Daredevil or? The, the stories that I think have had the biggest impact on me have been the ones where it's, it kind of shows like the, the toll being Daredevil has on Matt Murdock and the people around him. Where it's sort of like I, the stories where, you know, Kingpin or where we'll start going after, you know, Matt Murdock in his personal life as his lawyer, and Matt has to try to figure out, you know, how can he say, how can he save his own life, how can he sort of keep himself, keep his personal life together while also being Daredevil. Those are stories that kind of, yeah, right, impact me, yeah. And didn't you find that the third season, um, either one of you, the third season of Daredevil, that the Matt Murdock story drove the season? Even when he was in a Daredevil costume? Yeah, I thought it went in full circle. The yeah. first season was about Matt Murdock, second was Daredevil, and then this one merged the two. Right, yeah. Well, it yeah. did. Even when he was in Daredevil costume, he was still being tortured emotionally as Matt Murdock. Mm. 
for his, for his pre, you know, earlier life and actions and all that. Well, I thought the best episode was when he had to break into the prison and he has to fight his way out as Matt that Murdock. Was, that was interesting. Daredevil. That was interesting. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I, I love that third season. I was, I was sad to see it go, and I just had just finished it when the news came out. Oh. Yeah, I kind of unceremoniously was, dropped that yeah, one. Yeah, I was not happy. My only consolation that it ended at, like, a really good point. Like, for that to be, like, the end, like, the end of the show, like, I can accept that as being an ending... But there was the tease, the tease of um, of uh, bullseye, bullseye on the operating table being turned into bullseye. It's yeah, I kind of like that. It, it kind of ends with Matt, Karen, and Foggy. They're gonna go start up their business again. Kingpin has been put it behind mm-hmm. bars forever, forever, forever. <laughs> Air quotes, <Yeah>. forever. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are almost out of time. Okay. Uh, before we go, I want to. Uh, is there anywhere? Is there anywhere um, our listeners could find some of your work? Yeah, you can do a search of Brian D. Mazur on Amazon or Barnes and Noble if they still have any supply of books. It's been a couple years since I've had anything published. I, my writing's kind of fallen by the wayside for some personal reasons. There's still some books out there available. Or just do even Google me. There's uh, private publishers that still have um, books where they were originally published through. Awesome. Thanks for being on our show. Thank Thank you, you guys. This has been fun. And listeners, if you like our show, hashtag Marvel Therapy Group it. Send it to us. We'll repost it. We'd love to hear from you. So, any last words for the episode? Nope. I got nothing. All right. I got nothing. All right. We'll end with that then. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Marvel Therapy Group, where together we can work through our comic thoughts and learn to live beside them. Views expressed are of the host only and do not reflect Marvel Studios or comics in any way. Hosts are in no way qualified to provide therapy. This is simply the name of the podcast. This has been another Marvel Therapy Group session.